Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. This episode is sponsored by Rimmel Greenhouse Systems, makers of quality greenhouse structures. Whether you're just getting started or buying your 10th tunnel, Rimmel has a structure to fit your needs. I've purchased and grown in Rimmel houses and would recommend them to everyone. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is Kelly Clark, who was inspired to start Kelly's Working Well Farm in order to create a place for members of the community to learn about permaculture and how to grow food and practice ways of living that benefit the earth, each other, and the other beings with which we share the planet, our home. She grew up in Northeast Ohio and has returned there to stay. She's grateful to have the opportunity to nurture the land and observe it as it becomes more productive with each passing year and also how to turn it and nurture the spirits of those who spend time there. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. So give us a little bit. You spent 20 years teaching. What brought you from, you know, the teaching world to the farming world? Yeah, good question. So I, you know, I have a a science background. I was a science teacher, high school level, usually. Um, And, uh, but I think I always had an interest in gardening, although I wasn't a good gardener and I always wanted to have chickens. Um, and then, uh, but what was really influential to me was reading the book, The Omnivore's Dilemma. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, that book Michael Pollan wrote mm-hmm. about um, our food system. And that was, I don't know if that was in 2008, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it just, I just got very, very inspired because I think one of the, reasons is that food is something that everybody is involved in. Everyone is uh, participates in our food system and everybody can make choice. Everyone makes choices every day about how to participate in our, in our food system. If they have the ability to make those choices. Um, and it felt like a, an area that I could really, um, you know, make a small difference in, you know, mm-hmm at least at a local level. So where did you start with a piece of property? Did you find a piece of property? Talk to us a little bit about that journey. Okay. So, yeah. So, so I I read, I read that book and I really took a deep dive into uh, learning as much as I could about our food system and um, growing food. And I was, I was in the job where the school where I was teaching, I had the opportunity to develop um, they were looking for new curriculum. So I, I proposed and taught for a couple of years, a course on the food system. Hmm. And I discovered in that journey, I discovered permaculture. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point, you know, permaculture is, it's a, it's a basically a design philosophy um, that uses nature as a model. So, and then it has, you know, various principles that you use to design, um, not just like, um, food growing spaces, but also just living spaces and social spaces, and you can use it at any scale. But that's, I think that's what inspired me to find uh, some property so I could, so I could practice from perma- permaculture kind of 
I wanted kind of like a sandbox, you know, to practice mm-hmm. some of these ideas. And um, that was in that was in 2012. Uh, by the time I found this property just uh, down the street from where I lived at the time, and it had been abandoned. It was abandoned. It was six acres. Uh, there was a house there hadn't been lived in in seven years. Been on the market for a long time. And, um, but it was still like walking distance from our town, our downtown Mm -hmm. area. So it was really, really an awesome piece of property. I was amazed. One of the reasons maybe it had sat on the market was because it was kind of a mess. Mm -hmm. You know, the house was falling down and it had been left with food in the refrigerator and dishes in the sink. And, you know, gosh, yeah, it was pretty bad. They should have they should have torn it down, but they didn't. And so I think nobody wanted to take that responsibility of dealing with that an unlivable house. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yes. Yeah, so we we bought the land and um, and with the idea of creating a community, you know, community educational farm, and um, and a, and a place to practice permaculture. Mm. And we we built what a. Year- Sorry, go ahead. What year was that? So 2012. Okay. Yeah. We closed in the summer, and um, by by the follow. So and then one of the first things we did was we besides getting animals, I I knew that animals would be a real draw, you know, for community mm-hmm. members, especially kids. So we got chickens, we got some um, sheep and some goats to start with, and a and a couple of dogs. And uh, we didn't live on the property. We we were still down the street. Um, so I kind of walked back and forth. And we built a pavilion that we were able to use the following summer to start with summer camp. So we we offered a summer camp that first, the summer of 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of how we got going and how we were able to um, find, you know, financially keep going. So talk a little bit about the path to combining education into the farm. Was that from the start, you knew that's what you wanted or did it kind of just start as you started to build the farm up? You know, it's kind of hard to remember like my, my state of mind when we first bought it, but um, I quickly realized that like we did the summer, we did do the summer camps that first year. So that was definitely having kids on the farm was part Mm -hmm. of that original vision um and uh, you know as an i had been an educated for my adult life um and then i and then after the first couple years i realized that i couldn't really be teaching full-time at a at a regular school and develop the farm the way to its potential at all Mm -hmm. and so i started thinking about about that's when I started thinking about starting a school, a year-round um, program. And um, originally, I sort of started developing like curriculum around the growing seasons and agriculture and nature. Um, but a friend of mine um, pointed out to me this uh, alternative educational model that was. Um, practiced by the Sudbury Valley School in Massachusetts, which is really a very, it's self-directed, um, no formal curriculum kind of program. Mm. 
And, you know, that really resonated with me because I looked, because as a teacher, I was pretty frustrated generally in, in that I would, I was pretty, I'm a pretty, like, I was pretty interested in what I was teaching and wanted to share that passion. But, you know, the kids, they don't come in with it. You're kind of, they're not so enthusiastic about it all the time. Mm. <laughs> if you remember, I don't know, as a being in school yourself, you know, there's a lot of things you might look back and like, oh yeah, you know, I probably would have liked that if I'd paid more attention. But, you know, as a kid, you have your own interests and, you know, having someone else tell you what to do all the time is not really that fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So anyway, that puts, and the other thing is with, uh, is this model of education, the sort of self-directed learning slash democratic school type of model is a lot closer to like a permaculture design type of model. It's, it's a lot more similar to in any natural system. You know, kids naturally want to learn. Mm. You know, they grow up. I see you have, is that a daughter or a son in your photo? I, well, yeah, that's my son. Um, but I have now have a, a daughter who's seven, a five-year-old, that guy who's now five, and yeah. uh, a daughter who's uh, 10 months. Yeah. So, you know, you, you saw your kids uh, teach themselves how to talk, basically, mm-hmm. and walk and ask tons of questions and be so interested in everything. And I think we put them in school and we kind of squelch that mm. natural curiosity that they have. And we sort of give them a lot of negative messages about their own ability to learn mm-hmm. in, you know, in that setting, because they have to, they have to sit quietly and they, they, you know, they're tested. And mm, yeah. All of this. So that's interesting. Cause you went from like a career educator. So was there some resistance as you kind of realized that there was a different model that you could be using? Well, it was certainly not a model I could use in the school where I was teaching. Correct. Um, and the last year when I was in that school and I had already sort of been converted to this new yeah. model, um, I'll, I would go in there and I would just be like looking at the kids and I'd be like, I'm really sorry. Like this is not, I can see how unhappy you are, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And I, and they were so stressed. This was at a, a private school, pretty high pressure mm. for the kids. And it was such, it's a very stressful environment for them. And, you know, my empathy had gone way up after sort of looking at it from a different perspective. So it was kind of hard for me to continue to, you know, give grades and assign homework and be like, I know you've got 10 million other things to do. And here I am just adding to it. And, you know, my experience over 20 years of teaching was that they're not really learning a whole lot. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I could tell that from the final exams and it, it, and I don't blame the kids. It's, it's this, it's the system. Like why should they care about this stuff? It's not relevant to their life right now. Mm-hmm. It may be in the future, but not at the moment. So that's an interesting point is that so often we look at this curriculum, which is geared to, well, we think it's a well-rounded education, but in essence, they're just, we're just forcing facts on them when what they're really interested, we're not really letting them f- read and do their own self-learning. Yeah. 
And, and yet what we find, what, what I find, you know, with kids that are not in that environment is they have many passions Mm -hmm. and those passions lead them to acquire those skills on their own or with how help that they ask for that, you know, is a lot more painfully learned in a regular school environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So share with us a little bit about like when we get the kids on the farm, kind of what's your What's your modus for teaching or how do you kind of like guide them? Yeah. So my personal way of, so if we have a group of, so we have a group of kids, mixed ages, they're on the farm, they're doing, you know, they're mostly playing free play is, is really, I think the highest form of learning, right? That's how kids, that's how they've evolved to learn is they play and they explore and they challenge themselves and they, get curious and they ask questions. So my role is to be doing things on the farm, meaning they're meaningful. You know, I think that kids Mm -hmm. like to look, they look to the adults around them as examples of what's important, you know, and then, and then when they see that the adults are interested in something, then they want to learn more about that thing. You know, so like if we're sitting there on our devices all day, the kids naturally are going to want to be on their devices all day too, mm-hmm. you know? So, so to, for what I like to do on the farm is model meaningful activity. So I'm, I'm taking care of the animals. I'm planting trees. I'm harvesting fruits or vegetables. I'm making jam. Um, you know, maybe I'm doing like some crafts Mm. based on like using wool from the sheep, you know, and I'm, and I'm trying to basically manage the farm. So let's, let's move into the farm side of things. Talk us through kind of what are the different, um, enterprises or different, you got some animals. I I saw in a picture here, you're doing some drying, I believe. Oh yeah, that's a de- yeah dehydrator. Um, yeah, so we're a very so we're small, um, um, diverse farm. So it's basically we're like we're doing a little bit, almost a little bit of everything, um, but not a lot of any one thing. So we're mm-hmm. not focused on any one product. Um, we've at, with permaculture, you uh, you have a lot more emphasis on perennials. So, um, and creating a system where the different elements work together. Um, so in the beginning, our revenue stream was primarily coming from the, the summer camps. Mm-hmm. And that really gave us, that was actually, they were successful enough that it helped us develop our infrastructure. So we were able to um, build a few more buildings and, you know, fencing and, you know, those kind of things. Um, the, the year long program, which is now called the Chicago Valley learning collective, um, also brought in some revenue, but then that had a lot of costs in terms of staffing and so on. Um, so, but our long-term model, I'm thinking about some sort of, um, maybe some sort of like a membership where, people can join the community 
and for like a monthly fee and then come maybe once a week or every so often and harvest whatever's in season. And we would support, provide support by showing what, what's growing, what's in season, what you can do with it and so on. Mm. So we're starting to get a lot of fruit. Um, you know, we have strawberries, we have black raspberries, red raspberries, golden raspberries, currants, elderberries, um, and moving forward every year, we're going to have more different, you know, kinds of fruits and nuts, um, available sort of, you know, almost like a foraging kind of thing. You know, you can walk around through our orchard, which we, which we call a food forest, um, because it's just all, it's just, you know, going to have so much food in it, Mm -hmm. but all sorts of different kinds of things. So then the drying, talk to us a little bit about this uh, dehydrator you got. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, dehydration, we, 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 I'm really into, into food preservation of all sorts, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so canning, um, freezing, um, fermenting, and, um, and dehydrating. Those are, you know, uh, those are all different. Some of the, the advantages of fermentation and dehydration is they don't require a lot of energy, you know, so mm-hmm. like canning, you have to have, you know, you do it, you have to have high heat and um, you can't, you, you know, you, you heat up the jars until they get a seal. Freezing, you have to have a freezer that you're running all the time and it's mm-hmm. limited in space. So the nice thing about fermenting is you can just do it at room temperature and then dehyd- dehydration um, in that picture is a solar dehydrator. Um, so you can actually, you know, dehydrate fruits, vegetables, mushrooms, um, even meat, um, mm-hmm. so that you can do long-term storage without needing electricity. Mm. So, you know, that's it's kind of nice. And what kinds of things are you dry in there typically? Um, to tell you the truth, I, the, that dehydrator, we're still experimenting with it. So um, right now I do have an electric dehydrator also that I use. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I dehydrate, I mean, any kind of fruit, um, and then you can reuse them later. Like you can throw, um, throw them in like oatmeal or even rehydrate them and, and make them into baked goods. Um, vegetables are awesome. Like mm-hmm. you, you know, you can do onions, you can do peppers, tomatoes, and then easily throw them into a stew or a soup later in the winter time. Um, you know, even you can even dehydrate like peas. Eggplant dehydrates really nicely. Um, all sorts of all sorts of vegetables, and there, there's just there's a lot you can do with it. Mm-hmm. So talk us through the animals. The animals are there. Do you um, butcher any of them for meat, or are they more there yeah. for okay? Yeah. I mean, that's part of the idea is that we're, they're not pets, Mm -hmm. right? Um, they're every, every animal has a sort of a role to play. Um, we have, we do chickens. We have both, um, chickens that we have layers. Um, and we also do, uh, four, we're right now we're the past two years, we've done four rounds of meat chickens. Mm -hmm. 
So we start with, we, we do order, you know, we'll order a hundred or so uh, chicks, day old chicks, and then mm-hmm. raise them up there. Usually we use um, the Freedom Ranger, which is like, mm-hmm. a, you know, the Freedom Ranger chicken. So it's not like the, yeah. the uh, super, you know, Frankenstein chicken, but it, they also do grow much faster than, you know, your typical like, heritage breed. Yeah. And I'm looking here at your pictures of the chickens and they look really nice. The, the finished product looks really nice. You put them in the, the shrink wreck yeah. bags and yes. um, yeah. So what I, what, so one of the things that's sort of um, part of our model is inviting other people to get involved in farm projects. And so the chickens, the meat chickens are actually a, a project mainly led by my, a friend of mine, Jim Demko. And he, so he sort of takes on the responsibility of ordering the chickens, um, organizing the, you know, just determining, you know, when, what the dates are going to be that we raise them. He makes sure that the, the chicken tractors are functioning and fixed and repaired and, um, and organizes the processing. And mm. I help them with the sales and I also help with daily, like since I'm here at the farm every day, I usually do the evening chores moving. So with the chickens, we have them in tractors, mm-hmm. about 30 chickens per tractor, um, which we, you know, we move twice a day. So we move them in the morning and the evening and, and feed them. So they're on pasture. Um, and yeah, we process them on the farm and market them and people come to the farm to, to pick them up. And yeah, we have the shrink wrap and all that stuff is pretty nice. So talk to us a little bit about the sheep. So you're using those for some meat, but you're also using the wool. Yeah, I mean, so, so well, one thing also we do with the sheep is we do the rotational grazing, mm-hmm. right? So they're also moved throughout the farm every day. So every day they're in a new spot, which really helps to, um, well, for one thing, they get, they get fresh pasture every day and they're also spreading out their manure and they're, and it's been kind of amazing. We've been doing this for almost 10 years and you can really see every year the pasture is growing more and more lush the soil is um softer you know it's easier to to push the posts in um this year the pasture grew so fast that i'm i feel like we're going to need to come in and cut hay Mm. in between you know because i because i can't i can't get them around fast enough yeah so it's just growing that fast which is awesome yeah yeah yeah. I mean, the first year I was kind of like, I was like, oh, is six weeks long enough for this mm-hmm. patch to really grow? Now it's so, it's so grown that I feel like, yeah, we need to come in and, and manage, you know, mm-hmm. other that more. Um, so that's been really, really awesome. And then we just have four ewes and a ram. Um, and mainly with, we don't sell the meat from the, from the lamb. Uh, usually we just kind of distribute it among family members, you know, because that's a whole mm-hmm. nother, cause then we wouldn't, cause we do the on-farm processing and it's not, it's, we can't legally sell meat that we've processed from a larger animal mm-hmm. that we've processed on the farm. Mm-hmm. There's a poultry exemption, but any red meat is different. 
Yeah, yeah. Poultry. I think you can do rabbits, turkeys, uh, chickens, ducks mm-hmm. um, on the farm and sell from the farm, but not not the larger animals. Mm-hmm. But we do like to do educational workshops. So, um, you know, we'll invite people to come and we'll, we'll show them we'll 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 show them how to and have them participate in the process if they want. Mm hmm that for the chickens and um the sheep and we've done it for a pigs too okay and what breed of pigs do you have well in the past we've just done like feeder pigs where you know i've gotten some feeder pigs yeah auction raise them for the season harvest them you know in the late fall or winter um but last year we started we got three american guinea hogs okay and uh, two females and a male, all related. We harvested the male in like January. Okay. And oh my gosh, the lard on this on this animal was incredible. Lots of lard. <laughs> and then, so then we just, and then, then this spring we we got an unrelated boar, and now our females are pregnant. So mm. we're gonna we're gonna do that for the first time. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, Thriving Farmers, each year we are faced with two important investment decisions. We should be investing in systems that increase productivity and in inputs that develop soil. In December of 2020, I was introduced to a seed, soil, and foliar prebiotic treatment. This product is called Ultra. Ultra is an OMRI-listed prebiotic formula manufactured by AgriGrow. I have personally been running several trials testing Ultra on my farm. I'm impressed. Ultra increased our strawberry yield production by 18%. On a 900 square foot trial, $6 in product cost returned me $868 worth of marketable strawberries. We also had decade old heirloom corn seed that I've been trying to germinate with no success. In a Hail Mary attempt with my remaining few seeds, I soaked them overnight in a diluted solution of Ultra. They germinated. If you would like to try Ultra or any other agrigal product, I believe this would be a worthwhile investment on your farm. Here's the best news yet. AgriGrow has agreed to offer a 10% discount to all Thriving Farmer listeners. Simply use the coupon code THRIVE when you check out. Again, that is T-H-R-I-V-E for a 10% off discount on your first order. Head to smallfarm.solutions to order today. So talk to us a little bit about some of the struggles you've had while starting the farm. Well, I mean, the biggest struggle would be the the one that came down on us when the township came in. and. they were upset that we had kids on the farm and um, accused us of operating a school, which, which actually our program is not a school because it doesn't have a curriculum. And so instead all of our family members are registered as homeschoolers, all our Mm. participants. So, but they, they didn't like it. They wanted us to have all buildings that had occupancy permits. And um, so that's taken a long time. They came in the fall of 2019 and um, closed us down. They, they said, you can't have people on the farm. Um, nobody from the public can come on the farm. Um, and that they were able to hold us off for about two and a half years. And then we finally got the judge, a judge involved. And she was like, wait a minute, you know, you have to, you know, this has to be justified yeah. and all this stuff. So we were able, and see, they were, they were hanging us on saying we had to have occupancy permits. And the judge was like, well, it's a farm. Like they can't get occupancy permits. And we, we had said the same thing, like Uh like local in Ohio, 
the building department will not come and inspections. They will not give us permits. So the township had put us in this catch 22 of you have to get permits. And we're like, but we can't. And they're like, oh, well, (laughs) too bad for you. Yeah. We're fighting the exact same thing right now with our thing. I mean, thankfully I just do what I want and they have to catch up. Right, <laughs> but right. Um, yeah, but um, uh, yeah. I mean, our, my lawyer basically, yes. yeah. Anyway, but uh, we're, we're a little bit. We're getting to that. Where we're, we're getting to that position because we 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 were able to finally um, demonstrate that our outdoors at least is is um, doesn't have any hazards. So we're allowed to have people on the farm, and they still want us to to undergo some inspections to resolve what their, their, their concerns, but we definitely have more leverage now mm-hmm. um, where, yeah, it's more like they said, Oh, you can't do your summer camp because that's not really agritourism. And we're like, um, well, yes. baloney, it is, and we're going to do it. And so we can yeah. do it because, because the judge has said, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's safe, if you can't prove that it's dangerous, then you can't keep people off the farm. So we're like, sorry, mm-hmm. guys, we're doing it. Yeah. And same with our year round program, because we're going to be like, hey, you know, you have to you can't shut us down anymore because we demonstrate we don't have hazards. So it's on you now to prove Mm -hmm. that what we're doing is not agritourism and good luck with that. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, because you are a farm, I mean, the fact that you're growing plants and you have sheep and you have chickens and you're producing food. Yeah. The big thing that we did not have before is we hadn't, I hadn't in the first couple of years been documenting farm sales. Ah, so, yeah. mm-hmm. so that's that kind of, that bit us, you know, and in the beginning you're like, well, it's going to cost me more to market mm-hmm. and get these sales than the revenue I'm going to bring in. But that, but, you know, looking back on that's probably the thing I would have spent more energy on is mm-hmm. going ahead and selling things <laughs> Getting that we only need twenty five hundred annually gross revenue, mm-hmm. that could have made a difference. You know, I'm not sure because they, you know, but I would say yeah, if you can get that, it, it it's uh called the CAUV status here. You should try to do that, even if it doesn't seem like it makes sense at the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get all set up and make sure it is so that you can prove no it. One- yeah. Yeah, no one can question that you're a farm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, because uh, I, because also it seemed like, because I read through, I think uh, you worked with a nonprofit organization that provides some of the legal support. Walk us through the different people involved. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we were fortunate um, in that when this first came, so when they first came to the farm, they're like, oh, you know, you're operating a school. And we're like, no, it's not a school really. And then they're like, well, you need to be licensed in some way. And they couldn't find any way of licensing us. We really do not fall under any clear category with what we're yeah. doing. Um, but, and then they just came all of a sudden a couple months later and shut us down. And at that point, yeah, we got, we were, uh, Jim, my partner in, in chicken meat chickens um, was harvesting, doing a, a workshop at another farm. And he, he met this woman who was a lawyer and she's like, Oh, we have a, we're an environmental lawyer and you know, we do, we're a nonprofit and we mm-hmm. might be able to help. So, yeah. So we had that legal team, which has been uh, uh, really helpful, you know, not charging us the, the typical rate that you would have to get that you would get from a lawyer. So that was huge. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but you said they did shut you down for a while. So did you have to go back to work or how were you able to keep, make things keep working? You know, well, we, we definitely upped like, you know, um, the farm sales of stuff. Cause mm-hmm. we, you know, um, and we got a lot of donations that allowed us to pay the mortgage. Um, yeah, we, and we were actually a nonprofit ourselves. So we were mm-hmm. able to do some fundraising and, you know, the other thing is over the years with the camps and the, and the educational program, you know, we had built up a community of support and that was really important. And, you know, we, we were able to appeal to people and, and, you know, get some donations that really got us through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. When we, a couple of years ago, we had a zoning thing that we were working with and we needed some variances and we had over 500 people sign the yeah. petition and we had over a hundred comments and I was able to print that entire stack off. And it was literally a book full of stuff. And I was able to bring it into the planning meeting and just hand it to the people. Yeah. And, and it sure changed the tune that was going on there. Yeah, I think that I think that's we've you know been able to tell that story that mm-hmm. that we're a really valuable part of the community and a lot of people rely on us to as a place you know especially like kids really like to come to the farm and mm-hmm. um, you know I just think it's really it, it was unfortunate we had to be closed during a much of COVID because I I think it was an ideal would have been an ideal place mm-hmm. for. Uh-huh. Yeah. Get out, get, get, get some of the, some of that stress. Um, yeah, yeah absolutely. I think it's yeah. super important Connect with nature, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So talk us through what's, what's, what's the future hold for the farm? Well, I think it's just, um, we're sort of getting back into it. We're having uh, summer camps for the first time in the last couple of years, which is exciting to have people back on the farm. We still have to um, resolve some of the issues with the buildings before we can get the buildings opened up. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking in the future, well, and although this time, this time of sort of not being in normal operations, we've we've used to do a lot of get a lot of plants in the ground, a lot of trees in the ground. Um, and every year there's just gonna be more stuff coming, you know more fruits, uh, more, more perennial, you know, nuts and things. So that's Mm -hmm. exciting. Um, I do want to uh, embark, you know, we'll get the program back on the farm. It's, it hasn't the, the, um, the, the year long program has been offsite. So we're hope we're planning on bringing it back in the fall. Mm -hmm. So that'll be nice having people on the farm year round. And then, you know, uh, I want to build a building that, is a community. I want to build a community center building, you know, have a, um, have a kitchen, a commercial kitchen, a nice big area for people to gather, have events, community events, um, stuff like that. So that'll be, that'll be our next phase, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So talk to us about the few ways that you've incorporated permaculture. Cause I know that's something that you said really, um, you resonated with you when you were founding the farm. Yes. Well, in terms of the farm, I think the, the rotational grazing, um, we've used some permaculture, uh, methods for managing, um, water. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've dug, so we have, we're have our food forest orchard is on a slope. 
a pretty good slope. And so we've mm-hmm. dug, we've dug swales, which are ditches on contour. Mm-hmm. So you dig the, you dig ditches on contour and then um, you create a berm at the low side of the ditch. And that's where you plant your trees and your shrubs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been fun. That's a fun, that's been a fun project. Um, and then even just in terms of designing the educational program and how things work together, it's, it's all kind of permaculture too, you know, like really, really designing systems that, um, do not need to be managed in, intensively, but mm-hmm. sort of manage themselves ultimately, you know, you may have a lot of work up front getting the elements in place, but once they're in place, they sort of, um, you know, work together without as much management. That's mm-hmm. sort of the goal. Mm-hmm. One of the goals of permaculture. Yeah. Now with the farm being located, so you're in, not in this town, you're in the township, I think you said, right? Yes. Well, we're, we're, it's, it's a little weird because we're in this Bainbridge township, but we're actually really close to a different town. Okay. The county line is right. The street, you know, we're on the oh, county okay. line. Yep. So mm-hmm. The town that we're close to is not the, is not the township. Um, okay. So that's kind of, that's kind of weird too, because in a way we appeal more to folks that are not necessarily in the townships that's going after mm-hmm. us. Yeah. Um, but like, do you have, so you have six acres there is the round is land surrounding you. Is that all uh, like houses or is it more farmland? Yeah, we're actually, um, uh, we're kind of uniquely located across the street is a cemetery. Okay. And, um, to the North side, it just, it is, you have more houses, especially as you go in for town. But on the other side of our other neighbor is a big, um, a rather large retirement community. Okay. Um, so they have, they have like 60 acres and they have, you know, um, everything from assisted living and, um, um, to like condominiums and so on. So it's kind of a weird, kind of in a weird, we're not, it's not really country, mm-hmm. but it's not really a neighborhood. We're kind of like an, an edge, an edge location. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Which is interesting because in permaculture edges are kind of are very uh, productive mm-hmm. spaces because they're, you know, they've got little elements of each, you know, mm-hmm. like the edge between a forest and a field has got like some forest components and some field components. And they sort of, it's where they kind of combine and create a whole new, mm-hmm. new uh, ecosystem. Yeah. Now t- t- what kind of wild animals do you see on the farm? Um, we, so we, we, so there's a lot of deer around and Mm -hmm. raccoons and we do see foxes every once in a while. Um, now we have a couple of livestock guard animals. Um, they're, um, great Pyrenees crossed with St. Bernard. Mm -hmm. And, um, we are, we do have a perimeter fence around five acres. And so we can let the dog, the dogs come out and, and roam for uh, an hour or so in the evening and, and in the morning. And I think that really helps with mm-hmm. the, the foxes and the coyotes. So, and we also use um, 
electric fencing, you know, electro net fencing mm-hmm. um, for the sheep and the goats and the chickens. Um, so we've been really fortunate. Um, and I think with having, you know, the diversity and the dogs and the perimeter fence and then the electric fencing and, and also having people on the farm, mm-hmm. all those things I think have really helped us with the, with the, the predators. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause obviously those are going to go after your chickens and sheep and all of that. Yeah. We don't, we don't have those animals, those animals yet. We have, um, we have a ton of groundhogs or woodchucks and rabbits. And then just yesterday we saw a fox or maybe I think yeah. it was a, maybe a coyote for the first time. Um, yeah. but we're within city limits. So that was kind of crazy to me. Um, but yeah. we are, we are eight acres. So there's plenty of places for them to hide and for them to move around. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, yep. uh, share with us a little bit about like your marketing. Cause I know you obviously you're building a farm. It's a little bit of a different farm than a lot. So what has your marketing yeah. looked like? Well, I mean, that's certainly not been my favorite part of the whole thing. <laughs> okay. Um, and, um, but we've, we started, we would, we, you know, we had a lot of events, like we would have a big pig roast in the fall and invite just basically like invite people to the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just kept, we would, you know, establish a mailing list. I do use MailChimp, mm-hmm. um, which is nice. And so you get, so you can get that ma- email list and with MailChimp, then when you, you can automatically, when you write your newsletter. So I try to write a newsletter every couple weeks and post that on Facebook and Instagram. And so then you can actually get people signing up for the newsletter from those, you know, um, outlets. Mm -hmm. But I would have to say like, sort of, it's really been mostly word of mouth Mm -hmm. when it comes down to it. You know, like when people come and you say, well, how did you find out about us? It's like, Oh, I heard about from this person. And they said, you did, you know, that, um, that I should come and see the farm. And, you know, so that's the story that most people tell when they come is that they, you know, they met someone who told them about the farm and said they had to come and see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People just uh, love the unique farm that you've built and they just want to share it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We've created a very special place. Like when people walk onto the farm, it just feels, you know, and the other thing we haven't even talked about is the natural building, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, a couple, and that's another sort of permaculture thing is, is using, you know, natural materials for buildings. And um, early on, probably in 2014, um, I met, I, I was uh, made contact with a guy who does natural building and he okay. just, you know, only li- he lives in the area, just about 25 minutes away from the farm. And immediately, and, you know, I'd been, I'd had my feelers out for that. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It was amazingly that there was someone who lived so close. And so we started with, you know, we built a pizza oven, we built a little cottage, we built a larger building. And um, those have just created a space that has a very, it's just a very comfortable, um, appealing space mm-hmm. you know, having and does that book that that building have a living roof yeah okay so that's yeah if you go to their your facebook which is kelly's working well 
farm, you can see pictures of that. It's really cool. Yeah. And there's a, we have a few different buildings and not, they don't all have living roofs, but, um, but you know, they're all like made of cob, which is basically clay, you know, like locally sourced clay and straw mm -hmm. and, um, it's very, very sort of traditional building methods, like, um, ancient really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So people really enjoy seeing that. And then do you do things like mushroom workshops at all or? Yeah, sure. Yeah, we do mushroom inoculation or um, like I said, we'll do like the chicken processing where we invite mm -hmm. people to teach them how to do that. Um, um, also, we're one of the things that we're hoping to do more of is do like consultations. Mm -hmm. um, so I can go to someone's house and we can spend an hour walking around and talking about like how they can incorporate mm -hmm. um you know, maybe edible, edible landscaping, or if they want to try to, you know, have chickens or, you know, what, what kinds of things they can grow, how they can manage it. Um, and so we're, you know, a lot of things we try on the farm, but then also we can then say, you know, help you do this at your, in, on your mm -hmm. property. Yeah. There's a lady here in the Dayton area that does incredibly well with that. She'll write, she'll take pictures, she'll write up a report. Um, yeah. We just don't have the bandwidth for what, for what we're doing here, but that is a very cool service that I know is probably very helpful. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause people don't know. They don't, they, they obviously didn't grow up this way and they just need support to be able to, to make it happen. And they're right. very yeah. excited to uh, yeah. Be able to support those who yeah, do have that knowledge. I think it's, it's fun to see. I think the interest is just increasing, you know, from people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's, it's a lot of fun. What is your favorite tool on the farm? Tool. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm my pruners. Okay. You know, I, I, I started carrying them around a year or so ago and that's been huge, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, just always mm -hmm. having them as I'm walking around. And I do one thing I do with the pruners is I um, I try to do a lot of um, feeding the rabbits and the goats and sheep with little like cuttings. So like if I like, go back and I'll see like a little branch sticking out. Well, OK, I'm going to cut that and I'm going to go throw that into the rabbits and they're going to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the pruners would be my favorite. I would say the thing I do use the most. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I really appreciate you coming on today, Kelly, and sharing your story. It's really cool to hear what you've built. And again, it's, it's, it's such a different farm than so many of our guests build because they're building, yeah. you know, really production farm, but you've really taken, yes, you're doing production, but you're doing so much education, which I think is also such a huge right. part of the movement we're building is just kind of educating the world on, you know, how yeah. this kind of farming works. So yeah. Yeah. So thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was Absolutely. fun. This episode is sponsored by Rimmel Greenhouse Systems, makers of quality greenhouse structures. Whether you're just getting started or buying your 10th tunnel, Rimmel has a structure to fit your needs. I've purchased and grown in Rimmel houses and would recommend them to everyone. So there you have it. Another episode in the books. 
So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.